Well, extraordinary claims demand proof. Extraordinary claims demand proof. Uh, When I was younger, uh, me and a few buddies of mine, we would go into the woods uh, in Ohio uh, behind our house, and we would take our BMX-style bicycles, and we would go down just stupidly (laughs) steep hills to go up little man-made ramps and just fly. (laughs) And so so we would, we would do this all the time. It was, it was very dangerous. The lots of broken legs and bruises and things like this. And so we would, we would go down and we would, we would ramp and sometimes we'd build another ramp on the other end and we would land it. And it was just wildly terrifying and, <laughs> and fun. This is what you do when you have a little bit of not as much supervision. But we did it. <laughs> it was great. Uh, but we, one of the things that happened though is our imaginations of what could happen didn't always match up with uh, the laws of physics and gravity. <laughs> and so besides just n- automatically getting hurt, uh, you know, from, you know, instant death falling, sometimes we just bail out in the middle of the air, go like, oh, that's not gonna, that's gonna be painful. We land in a, a thorn bush or whatnot. But none of that actually stopped us from telling the stories of how great our jumps were. Uh, some of you guys do this where you say, like, you know, I went fishing and I caught a fish this big, right? So sometimes <laughs> we want to tell these great stories of what we did. And so a lot of times, you know, we would say, oh, you should have seen me. I went out there and did this amazing 60 gainer. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> and everyone's like, uh-huh. They're like, like, I wish you were there. But, you know, it was amazing. I landed and everything. And everyone's like, uh-huh. And it, but we all did it. We're like, yes, I totally went down. We went, I went all the way from the top of the hill, and then when I went up in the air, instead of normally falling back on my back like I did every time in front of you, (laughs) I went all the way around (laughs) in the middle of the air, then I saw the branch, and then midair, I pivoted around the branch, and then I I, I punched a cat, I did a, a drink of Mountain Dew, and I landed in 1988. It was just, it was amazing, you should have been there, right? Amazing, extraordinary claims demand proof. They, they require us to have some evidence be- beside that, uh, behind that. And so this makes me think of a lot of times, if you guys have seen the, the show, The Office, it makes me think of Michael Scott um, when he was racing outside. He, he, they, they, the, there was a speedometer outside of their office, and he was running by, and he was trying to test how fast he was, and they, be- they became a race. And as he went by, there was a, a car that drove by at the same time. And so the speedometer picked up the car and, and it went 31 miles per hour. And he's like, yes, I'm the fastest man in the world. And everyone's like, I don't think that's true. He's like, nope, it, it, it proves it. It proves it 31 miles per hour, which sounds a little unreasonable for most people, especially Michael Scott. Given that Usain Bolt can run 28 miles per hour, I think... Michael Scott running a little bit faster than him sounds hard to believe, right? And so extraordinary claims demand proof, evidence, witnesses. Like we all want to verify some of these these wildly absurd claims that we we hear every now and then. And so the title of our sermon today and the question of Marvin Gaye was, can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Jesus is going to claim some pretty wild stuff in this passage, and we want to know, is it possible? Is that real? And so today we're going to look at this uh, in three ways. We're going to look at the witnesses, the warning, 
and the war. The witnesses, the warning, and the war. And so witnesses, um, you know, John begins this passage like a courtroom scene where he's calling that his witnesses to the, and to the stand to give their testimonies. Uh, and you remember, you might remember if you've been with us on this, um, Jesus had just been doing the, these, these crazy, unthinkable miracles, and he heals these people in just wild ways, but just by the power of his word, he says, get up, take your mat and get up, and they're healed. And, and, and in, instead of celebrating that this man who had been disabled for 38 years was just healed, they, they, they decide they're going to form a witch hunt on him because he did it on the Sabbath, that he healed on the Sabbath. Ooh, that, that's, that's too much. And so if he broke the Sabbath, then clearly he's from the devil. And so this passage is very courtroom-esque, right? This is, Jesus is calling four witnesses to the stand, and the four witnesses I think we have up on the screen uh, is a witness. Uh, these are the four witnesses before you. Um, you, know, you have John the Baptist, you have the works of the Father, the Father himself, and the scriptures themselves. John the Baptist, the works of the Father, the Father himself, and the scriptures themselves. And so this passage, the, the witness is, what is a witness? It's a, ordinarily just someone who just has seen something with their eyes and gives an account for it. It's, it's a, a witness is, the word there is actually testify or testimony. And so a witness just gives firsthand experience of what they saw. They don't have to argue to try to make you believe it. They say, here's what I saw. This is my story. And so then in verse 31, Jesus says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true, which sounds absurd because anything Jesus says is probably true. But what Jesus is saying, it's not valid by your standards. So Jesus is now going to accommodate to, to the, the biblical uh, rule that requires two to three witnesses to validate a testimony in a capital case. But then verse 32, Jesus says, there is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. And then he goes and lists off these four, four witnesses. And so the first witness is a guy named John the Baptist, a guy we've talked about for a long time. If you've been with us, uh, John the Baptist, the guy who eats locusts and dresses funny, uh, he's kind of a weird dude. Uh, but <laughs> Jesus quibs, he says, not that I accept any human testimony, like, I don't need y'all, but I understand that you guys like him, you tend to believe him, and so let me just call the man that you guys seem to think so highly of to the, to the witness stand, um, and then he says, I'll let you offer his testimony. And so if you trusted him, you can trust me, because his very ministry was built on preparing the way for me. So if you trust John the Baptist, why don't you trust me? And then in verse 35, it says that John was a lamp in a dark time, lighting the path to Jesus. And so as we celebrate, this is a very Advent-themed passage already, as we celebrate this season of Advent, the imagery of darkness in the world, these lights that we have are supposed to light the path through the darkness, through, through the, the gore and the ugly to something better, and they're supposed to light our path to Jesus. And they, they did, but only for a time. And then in verse 36, he says, But I have a testimony weightier than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And so what are those works? Those are the miraculous signs that he's doing. Those are the... Can any old person just tell someone to get up and be healed so that the miraculous nature of it 
authenticates or validates that Jesus is who he says he is. But also, not just the miraculous nature of it, the, the, the type of works that Jesus is doing authenticate who Jesus is. Like all of these signs that he's doing, particularly like healing these people, these, these, are, these are, yes, they're miracles, but they're evidence of something better. Like, how do you know if someone is a liar? Like, some people have been really good at lying for a very long time, and they've deceived a, a whole bunch of people. And sometimes you may be, have been deceived yourself, and you've found yourself at, at a point of defending the liar. You ever you feel, been in that situation where you, where you found yourself, they were so good at being a wolf that you've, you were in the position where you said, no, 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 how dare you? And questioned their integrity because they were so good at lying. And so how do you know when someone is actually being truthful or not? Well, you can tell by the fruit of what happens in the next couple of years. Because if, if someone is a liar, you're going to see thorns and bad things start popping up. But if they're telling the truth, if, they are, if the fruit from that is good whole things... Then you go, okay, maybe they were telling the truth there, all right? And so the, the, the fruit kind of produces, shows you the root. And so what Jesus is now saying is like, it's not just that my miraculous healings are proving that I'm, that I'm who I say I am. Do you really think a snake would go around healing people? Like, does that sound like a snake to you? Like, I want the blind to see. I want the deaf to hear. I want the cripple to run. And they're like, he's a witch. <laughs> Kill him, <laughs> right? Some have done some pretty terrible things in the name of Christianity. Yes, that's true, but that's not the whole story of Christianity. Others have built hospitals in the name of Christianity. Others have, have taken people in at great expense to themselves and cared for the poor and the, for the oppressed. Like, these are the things that you would expect someone who comes from the Father to do. These are the type of things that you think the God, the Father, Yahweh, would do as well. And so it's not only the works of the Father, but, the, but now he says, but the Father himself testifies about me. Now just take for a second to just remove yourself from knowing who Jesus is. I know it's hard. Um, but just imagine someone came into your midst and made a claim like that. So let, let, let's just say uh, someone came into our church. We'll say his name is Malcolm um, uh, for, for, for you know, argument's sake. And he's like breaking all of the rules of the Bible. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 it's cool. It's cool. I'm God. I can do whatever I want. And we're like, mm, I don't know about that, Malcolm. He's like, no, in fact, my, my father... <laughs> is God, and he says, I'm good. And we would be very question, uh, questionable, uh, I don't know what we're going to say, we would very much be doubting what this Malcolm has to say. So no wonder they're having a hard time with Jesus talking about these things, and that's why Jesus says, can I get a witness? And he claims his dad, Yahweh, as a witness. Can you imagine the cross-examination that would happen at this point? <laughs> like, do you want to discredit that witness? Discredit Yahweh? And so things are about to get real confrontational. Verse 37, Jesus says, You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form. <laughs> Snap. <laughs> this is escalating quickly. Someone threw a trident. Jesus, God himself... 
is telling that these religious leaders, men who have devoted their life to studying God's word, who live at the temple, who lead others, he says, you have never heard God's voice. Oh, (laughs) that's got to be infuriating for them. And you have never seen him. Hmm. Jesus isn't trying to apply how to win friends and influence people, right, at this moment. (laughs) And ironically, what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is God himself, right? And so God himself is standing in their midst, and he says, you have never heard his voice when they're hearing it from God at the moment. That is a scary thing for me to hear. That right this second, that they are hearing Jesus speak to them, and he says, you've never heard his voice. They're looking at God himself, and he's saying, you've never seen God. Why? Because they're going right past who Jesus actually is. This is so frightening to me, because what he's saying is that right now, just, not just to the religious leaders, but to you and me, is that he's saying, God could be speaking to you at this very second And you wouldn't notice it. You could be hearing from God right now and you wouldn't even notice it. That is a frightening thing for me to hear. Because I think all of us want to say, show me yourself, Lord. Just, Just show me a sign. Prove it. And God could be saying, I've been speaking to you for years and you are calloused and closed off to me, and you won't listen to me. I worry that we miss hearing from God daily, that he is speaking to us all the time, but like the religious leaders, we don't want to listen to it. And so the last witness, the last condemning, condemning bit of evidence that Jesus gives is the scriptures themselves. And that leads us from the witnesses to the warning. Jesus isn't just warning the Jewish leaders here. He is warning you and me and all who claim to know the real I am. In verse 39, he says, this is one of my favorite verses, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. (laughs) I mean, that is like a baseball bat to the gut type verse. (laughs) That you study the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but these very scriptures testify about me. He's saying that you've you've missed the whole concept of scripture completely. You've missed the forest for the trees. Sometimes we can get so zoomed in and so focused on the finer points and the details of something that we miss the bigger picture. And John the Baptist, like the scriptures rightly understood, points away from itself and points to Jesus. They're trying to point us to Jesus, but we're all so tempted to look at the scriptures and completely miss Jesus. We can come to the Bible and we can completely sidestep Jesus. How do we know this is true? Well, let me give you an example. Let me use a date night as an example. Uh, Let's say... It's not let's say. Kristen and I, actually, truly, um, have, have come to love uh, our Fridays. Uh, and I'm very, we're very protective of Fridays. Sometimes we do a date day. Sometimes we do a date night. And we just love our date nights. Um, and so let's just say 
Now we're in the imaginary. Let, let's just say I go all out on a date night. And I get a sitter ahead of time. I've already planned the expensive dinner we're going to go to. And then afterwards, we go dancing. Now, um, let's just say I even took dance lessons ahead of time for this. Because apparently, I have what some like to call room to grow in my dancing skills. Um, And apparently, uh, I've been told, don't embarrass me, or uh, things like, your movement frightens me, uh, and things like this, right? (laughs) But but let's say that, that secretly, I decided to go get dance lessons, so that when we went on our sweet date, I just blew her off her feet, and she was like, did you get dance lessons? And I'm like, absolutely I did. And she's just just like, oh my goodness, that was so sweet of you. I love you so much. I'm like, it's okay, it's fine. It's my duty. It's my duty as a husband. All right, good night. I'm gonna go sleep downstairs in the office. How, How would that come across? You would think that I'm missing the whole point of date nights. You would think that I'm missing the whole point of doing dance lessons in the first place. If the point was for us to have a greater intimacy with one another, and I say, great, it's my duty as a husband, coldly, and say, good night, then I'm missing the point of it. How many times do we do this with the scriptures? That we read the scriptures... Maybe we even memorize some verses and we go, that was interesting, that was neat. I mean, we we can look at the scriptures and we can be like the the, the cold husband's duty. We can look at it and say, we, we look at the books like it's a research book and we can analyze it. We can look at the Bible like a science book and we're like, oh, the earth is flat. Or we can look at the book as like a legal book and say like, oh, this is, this is the law that we should implement in our society. We can look at it as, as good poetry, but we're doing all of these different things to keep us from seeing it as a personal letter from God to us for Jesus to say how much he loves you. Because sometimes that intimacy makes us uncomfortable. We are missing the whole point of it all when we do that. We can even call on Moses to our defense, as the religious leaders do. And, oh, that backfired. Verse 45, your accuser is Moses, whom your hopes are set. Verse 46, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. And so Jesus is just lighting these dudes up. You want to claim Moses? (laughs) Moses is going to accuse you. Are you any closer to God after you memorize the first five books of the law? Are you any closer to him? It should have brought intimacy with me. The Bible isn't an end. It's a means to an end. It's It's a vehicle for us to get closer to Jesus. It's not the end in itself. Sometimes we study these scriptures, as we said, we memorize verses, and maybe we even say those verses as like a party trick. Sometimes we use the Bible as a weapon to brandish and not a love letter to cherish. Every single one of us knows this is true. We, We see it in our own hearts. Sometimes we've seen this in sermons. You've heard a bad sermon or a bad Bible lesson, and maybe you were scolded with that Bible, or maybe you did the scolding. Maybe you use scripture and to, to beat someone down and not to bandage them up. 
We all do this. But here's the thing. You can make the Bible almost justify anything you want to do if you ask it the wrong question. And so if your question is, how can I be the parent where everyone serves me and, and, and makes me the king of my family and, and I, I, I bet I can find some verses to manipulate to support that. If I want to justify my belief that one race is superior, I can twist some verses to mean that. If I want to make myself feel better about slavery and misogyny or greed or lust, good Bible, good Bible believing Christians find verses throughout history, and they use the scriptures to justify themselves in condemning others. And so the warning for religious leaders and the warning for you and me is to not misuse scripture and not to abuse it when we miss the point of it all. And you might say, great, how do I do that? (laughs) How do I not miss it? I don't want to do that. Well, I think it's very obvious from this text Jesus is the test. Jesus is the test. Does the message highlight Jesus or does it highlight me? Does does this message, does this Bible study I'm in, does it proclaim his life, death, and resurrection or is it really all about me? Is it really about, about what I need to do? Does the sermon or Bible lesson point me to the conquering king who slayed death and all the enemies and and then also calls me to love my neighbor, or is it just a bunch of random facts? The Bible and the scriptures are good, but Jesus says they testify about him, and so he is the test. There's this fantastic kids' book that I think we may have a few back on the back book table there called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I absolutely love it. It's a beautiful book. I read it to our kids. Let me read you a rather long quote that's from the beginning of the book. Now, some people think that the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should do and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best, but the Bible isn't mainly about you, what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think that the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away, and at times they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story, and there are lots of stories in the Bible. But all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. This is the beauty of the scriptures that they point us to what we've all been missing and we've all been longing for, and that's Jesus himself. That makes sense of all things. That this person kills our shame. He preaches deliverance to the captives. He recovers sight to the blind. He, re- he leads a prison break for the oppressed. And he is the hero of every story. Amen? And so we've seen the witnesses, we've seen the warning, but now let's look at the war. And this last point sounds very intense for a, for a point in a sermon, but the war is the struggle 
that you and I have to actually believe that the Bible is all about Jesus every single day. It is the war because we're so tempted to leave Jesus that we want to focus on ourselves. And so some might take this text that we just read and say, oh good, now I can just get rid of this old dusty book, the Bible. I don't need it anymore because scripture is not found, life is not found in them, it's found in Jesus. And we could say, oh now I've got my own personal Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus isn't saying anything negative about the scriptures at all. He's just saying our misuse and idolization of it are bad. I believe that the Bible is truly God's word. It's good. It points us to Jesus. And when you read it rightly, you should find Jesus. Jesus is telling us that very thing right here. But between what God says and our understanding of it, there's there's a big gap, right? There's a big gap in what the Bible says and our understanding of it. There's a gap in translations, and then there's a gap in interpretations from those translations. And so on multiple levels, there are opportunities opportunities for us to completely miss it, sadly. But still, still the scriptures testify about Jesus. Still, they point us to the one who holds the world in the palm of his hands. And so we need to keep coming back to the scriptures even when we keep missing it over and over and over. We need to keep coming back to the the scriptures because they do point us to Jesus. And I think some out of a high view of scripture say like, we can't ever question the scriptures themselves. We can't ever ask the hard questions of them. Like how dare you ask the scripture that question? And I think it's out of a high view of scripture and and I think that's that's a good motivation. You can say, like, I, don't, I know what the Bible says about creation. Don't, don't give me any other views on it. Different from me. You're anathema. The Bible is clear. Amen. But it's also, on many points, it's unclear. On many points, it's complex. On many points, it's kind of downright confusing. And so instead of feeling the tensions of the text, and what we tend to do is we just say, well, I want to pick that side. I, I got to land somewhere. I'm going to pick a side, and I'm going to build a, a barricade around my side, and I'm going to weaponize the scripture. I'm going to find verses like ammunition to shoot down your side, rather than just feeling the tensions that the Bible gives us. And so we arm ourselves, and we weaponize the Bible to decide, are you a part of our theological club or not? But what if out of a high view of scripture. You said, I want to ask the hard questions of the Bible. I'm going to ask, is this the only way of seeing it? Out of a high view of scripture. And I want to encourage you, the Bible can handle your questions. It, it, it's lasted a long time. And people have asked it a whole host of questions. And so you can ask it. And I think there's something beautiful about hap- what ha- beautiful happens when you do ask it those hard questions. Something sweeter comes out of the scriptures themselves. And you go, now I have a deeper view of who God is. I wasn't afraid to ask those hard questions, and the Bible gave me some answers. And so I want to ask you to ask the hard questions of the text. But if you're willing to do that, I want you to also be willing to let it answer you. Are you willing to let the scriptures contradict you? Are you willing to let the scriptures ask you hard questions and challenge you? I mean, all of us like friends... Who, who agree with us on everything, right? <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> it's nice to not always have to be in an argument. Um, we, we like that. But at some point, it can get 
annoying. You're like, just have your own opinion, man. <laughs> right? <laughs> what do you like? I like that too. Uh, <laughs> right? We want, that, we want people to have that. It's nice for a while, but it get, you can start to see how they're not entirely truthful with you. We all need a friend who can say you have something in your teeth. Do you guys have a friend who can say you have something in your teeth? Every single one of us. I have too many of those. Uh, <laughs> but we all need that one friend. Or, light, or, or also, uh, just yesterday we were helping move uh, uh, one of our, our members uh, out from a, a home to another home. And we were picking up a piano. And I think I'm younger than I am, apparently. <laughs> and I tweaked my back, and I, so I feel very old. Um, and I wanted to keep going after much pain and much stretching. But one of you, as a good friend, said, Stop. <laughs> I'm going to be, I act like your mother and tell you, you cannot go any further. <laughs> and so I thank you, Trent, wherever you're at. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> we need friends who can challenge us, who can say, yeah, there's something in your teeth. Uh, we need friends like that. And we need the scripture to be able to challenge us as well. We need the scriptures to be able to contradict us. Because when you do ask it hard questions, when it speaks, are we willing to have the humility to listen? If you won't, then then you don't get some of the most beautiful things in Scripture. And one of the most beautiful things in Scripture is in 1 John, so John writes a letter later, 1 John in chapter 3, 20, he says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And I think self-condemnation hits you and me over and over and over like a truck, almost on a daily basis that you're not good enough, that you didn't try hard enough, that you keep blowing it here and here and here and here and here, that you're not smart enough, that no one could forgive you, that you, no one could forgive that, that you'll never change, and the self-condemnation just keeps coming at us like a truck over and over and over. And if we don't let the scripture contradict our thoughts, then we'll just believe our own thoughts. But... God is greater than our hearts. That God is greater than our doubts. God is greater than the self-condemnation, amen? So we can let scripture contradict us and say that no, you do have a right standing with God because Jesus has paid your debt. Despite what you think about yourself, Jesus has paid your debt. And you have to put your hope and faith and trust in what scripture says is true about you, even if you don't feel it. So no matter where you're at internally, let the scriptures challenge you and trust and put your faith in his death and his resurrection, that they're enough for you. And so one of the reasons that we meet every single week is because we forget that every single week. We need to be reminded of the, oh, the deep, deep love of the Father, how much he loves us, because there is a war inside you to continually battle, to, to doubt his love, to doubt his word, to doubt that the cross was enough. I mean, we, so many times I've heard people go, but what, what happens when I keep on sinning? Like, Jesus has paid for your past, your present, and your future sins. He says it is finished. He didn't say there's more to be done, that it is finished, that it, you are justified. Yes, there is sanctification work to be done, but you are justified. You're illegally declared righteous once and for all. He paid it all. And so I want you to rejoice in that hero and that love of the Christ and that to encourage you to actually trust him and hold him at his word, that he is better than our doubts. And so as you go this week, testify to that type of Savior. 
In this passage, we have witnesses all over the place testifying to the validity of who Jesus is, and that doesn't change today. There are witnesses all over the place. And Jesus tells us in Acts 1.8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And so how will people know this insurmountable love of Christ? Extraordinary claims demand a witness. And Jesus says that you are that witness. That you, are, you have a testimony, you get to testify, and you get to tell your story. I know I say it all too often that I, you have a good story to tell. Tell it. Only you can tell your story. Only you can tell your story. And those testimonies are powerful witnesses of what Jesus does. And you can say, well, it's not always been you know, this, this great, happy story. Those are the best testimonies, I think. That yes, you want to share the highs of when you believed, but you want to share the lows of when you doubted. And yet Christ loved you through it all. And that Christ has kept you through it all. And so let me just encourage you to witness to the beauties of our Savior with their story. Tell someone your story. This isn't a weapon to brandish. It is a love letter to cherish. Can I get a witness? <laughs> cherish this book. And as the church, I encourage you to be a living witness to those in your communities, to those at your work, to those at your church, right here. People here need to see that witness. We need to be encouraged. Let's pray.